Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. The good news is that we're back to a regular release schedule now that I've got the resistance in a sort of a show form. It's it's more or less a show and it will be running through Melbourne, Canberra, Sydney, New Zealand, London and Edinburgh this year. If you're in any of those places, hit me up on Twitter or look me up and I will tell you the dates. The tickets will become available on my website bit by bit uh, as they become available to me to tell you that they are available to you. I'm at the Adelaide Fringe. If you can hear in my voice, it's uh, I've been doing a lot of spots. So I've been doing my show and then uh, guest spots on people's shows. And uh, it's it's ruining me, but I'm enjoying it very much. Thank you, everybody, who's been contributing on their Patreon. We've got a couple of new Patreon subscribers, which is super fantastic. It lets me host this. It lets me buy tea for my guests. And it just makes doing a podcast not a loss of money. It makes it something that is revenue neutral. And eventually, I hope, something that I can make a little bit of money from uh, in that in that vein, if there's anything that you'd like, and if you're a Patreon subscriber, just let me know. Email me on alicerfraser at gmail.com. No guarantees, but I'm always willing to listen to suggestions and uh, take the good ones. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation. It's with Gordon Southern, uh, who's an international word clown, as he puts it, uh, and general good guy. I really enjoyed having the conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it. You are having tea with Alice. Uh, Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with performer and world clown, uh, Gordon Southern. World clown? I don't know what to call the people who are sort of going around from festival to festival. I call myself the international word clown. Word clown. So that's pretty close. That is close that I came to that all of my own accord. Yeah. Uh, so, have you been having any good tea recently? Have I been having any good tea? I was drinking some iced tea today from Unley Shopping Centre. Ah, was it heavily sugared? Incredibly sugared. Yeah, yeah. I felt those little diabetic jitters after the first mouthful, so it's doing its job. Yeah, I always find that weird, because tea is nice, whether it's cold or hot. I do enjoy a hot tea. I don't particularly like iced tea, unless it's made fresh, and it's all very exciting, and, you know, on a veranda somewhere in... Georgia or in the 1700s in with South Carolina yeah. yeah then it's oh it's mighty hot today <laughs> yeah that's a beautiful I remember those times well yes uh, and uh, I was gonna say we could go back to them but actually it was a very brutal time a terrible time let's move on I remember living in those days when people didn't have the common decency to keep slaves in a different country where you don't have to look at them <laughs> exactly have you been having any difficult thoughts of late have I been having any difficult thoughts? Um, yes, I'm troubled by a great many things. What oh. should we talk about Whichever one over feels, this tea? feels uppermost in Well, there's one that's really troubling me, is that while I'm here, I'm not able to attend to certain family obligations because being the self-styled international word clown obviously involves a lot of travel. Mm. And my last show was called Long Story Short, and it was a chiefly about my relationship with my dad and the fact that it's changing because he has dementia mm-hmm. uh, which I know affects a lot of people but it, while, while I'm here although I'm, I'm 
making hay while the sun shines and enjoying the sunshine and the festival life. Uh, my mum's the primary carer for my dad, so I don't get to go back to Essex one day a week as I would have done yeah. were I back home. And that's so tough. that's uh, that's tough. I mean, it's a it's a really difficult condition. I don't know what it's like for the sufferer, although yeah. I have an inkling that it might be something that will come and get me when I'm older. Yeah. Because of some of my lifestyle choices and the fact that <laughs> dementia is often hereditary. But it's difficult for the people around the dementia sufferer because they don't always know who they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and I this is a, a difficult idea that I've had. At points where mum was psychotic, because my mum had various things as side effects of her MS, one of which was various phases of psychosis. Wow. Okay. Uh, that it is better to have professional nurses dealing with it when it's really bad. Because they're experienced in it and they're trained. Because they don't take it personally. And also our training is to know almost a completely different person, your mother or my father, before these illnesses really took hold of their brains. It's just brutally hurtful if they don't recognise you. A nurse doesn't expect to be recognised or cared for or loved. Whereas you're you're used to this person as a constant flow of love even if they're angry or even if you're fighting you know that there's that 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 sense of of recognition of you as a person on a really super fundamental deep level and to have somebody like a parent look at you with the eyes of a stranger is just it's so viscerally upsetting and someone else can do it without it being upsetting for 25 bucks an hour that's a really good point so i was hard but after about the second time you know you'd go in and see that mum was okay and then visit once a day but then there's there's those moments of clarity when it kind of makes it all worthwhile when they're chatting to you and they're having lucid moments and they recognize who they who you are or remember things from from either their past or your past or ideally something that you did together because my mum said something to me a few years ago which at the time i didn't understand she said i'll be relieved when his brain is finally fully gone Mm. And I went, how can you say that? But now I understand that, you know, when they come and go, when they get flashes yeah. of lucidity and, and comprehension, and then other times they just, who are you? Where am I? What's this? Yeah. What are we doing now? What are we doing now? What about now? Yeah. And that living in the, in the now is, you know, because a, a lot of the symptoms of dementia and Alzheimer's are basically those of being a toddler. Yeah. And they have similar demands to a child but not a child that is growing and learning, but a child that is slowly forgetting. And that's the, you know, one of the many sad things about it. About it. So what would you rather? Would you rather be there or here? Oh, I'd rather be here. And, you know, it's, it's a very sad thing to admit to myself, but, you know, while I'm that far away from it, it's a lot easier to deal with than, than the day-to-day, you know, getting in the car, doing the journey, which I now know is exactly 90 minutes without traffic, mm-hmm. three hours with. And then you get out there and, and they'll either be pleased to see you or not. Um, I don't get too upset regularly about it because I know that it's, it's a condition that isn't his fault. There's a part of me fantasises that he's doing it on purpose just to avoid any of his household obligations. <laughs> I often go, he's just... Because I remember when, when I was a kid... Fuck the dishes. Yeah, exactly. This is, you know, it's an elaborate plan, yeah. but he hates doing the dishes that much. Because <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, mum would always cook. And on one occasion, Mum said, look, I'm, I'm, I think she was in hospital, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was something really serious that Mum couldn't cook. So Dad was left in charge of cooking. And he went, oh, I'll, I'll make soup. 
I make this soup. <laughs> and this soup was, you know, a project that was hours in the making. And he, he sort of made it, he just said, oh, it's leftover soup. It's all things around the oh house. Oh, God. And I remember <laughs> trying to eat it. It was one of the most disgusting things I ever had. And there was dry pasta. He cooked, like, at the last minute, he went, oh, this needs a bit of crunch. So he throws <laughs> dry pasta into this soup. So it's disgusting and then occasionally, you know, quite <laughs> dentally challenging. And from that day on, Dad was never allowed to cook. And there's a part of me thinking... Yeah, maybe he wants to get out of doing all the household chores and the washing up and the paying of bills and the reading of letters and go, I'd love to do it, but I've got dementia. Yeah. Mum, can you do everything? And, you know, you fantasise that he's one day going to go, all right, I'm stringing you guys along. Yeah. April Fool. Also, being old is probably quite annoying. Yeah. The process of getting old and dying, I wouldn't mind checking out for that bit. <laughs> Yeah, but he hasn't fully checked out, to, no. to use the correct language of checking out. And as a, as a man in his 50s and 60s, he did say to us, you know, if I ever lose my mind, kill me. And we go, can we, do we, do yeah. we take you up on that? I was yeah. going to say offer. Do we take you up on that? Because we agreed, we went, yeah, of course we will, Dad. We won't really. Yeah, but, but, ongoing know. consent, isn't it? It's that issue, same with if you're sleeping with someone and... Then they stop saying yes, but are they saying no? Oh my goodness, right. Well, there's, there's a couple of uh, left and right turns this conversation could take now. But but I mean in that way, that somebody says, I want you in the future to do this. Yeah. And does that still hold now? Obviously, if your father were on well, like, now life that, support Now that I have power of attorney, which is something we had to do, uh, yeah. because he can no longer you know, be trusted with his own finances... And I can see that down the line things are going to get harder because he's now starting to get into... He, he's been in the lovely bumbling phase for quite a while, which mm. is sort of adorable. It's like having a weird wee boy walking around the house. But he's, he's starting to get to the angry phase now where he's getting frustrated and, and that's, you know, that's going to be very difficult. And we're yeah. trying to find things for him to do, but his attention span is so short. Like We, we try to get him into this sort of you know, club for yeah. people with dementia, but he walks in... He goes, ah, oh, some of these people are really fucked. And I go, well, you're, you're quite fucked. But yeah, you're, but my mum's going, no, he wasn't the worst one there. Yeah. And he just went, I don't want to be around all these ill people. Yeah. And he's going, oh, yeah, fair point. Yeah, like being in the psychiatric ward is like being in Like When he was hell. in the stroke ward, he was, I remember going to see him in the stroke ward a couple of years ago when he had a, a minor TIA, which stands for some things. And uh, I was like, oh, my dad's like, you know, He's the he's the captain of yeah. this stroke board. He's definitely the best one here. He's he can talk, he can move around. Yeah. You know, he's he's pretty much king of this domain. Yeah. And then that's weird because then you're the best person in, in a situation where there are a lot of worse people, but they're yeah. your future as well. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what's Ghosts of Christmas future. Right is it there. more like reaffirming to be like, Well, I'm not as bad as these guys or is it more depressing to be like, I will eventually become these guys? Oh god, I don't know. I mean there's 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 a lot of different dimensions and fish in a lot of different pools when you go around a hospital. Yeah. Well, I mean, they say music from their childhood helps, or like from their we, we, cool period, we before do, music we got We try bad. that, and we try the old photos as well, and it's usually quite good. A lot of his old memories uh, are, are kind of much easier to access than what did you do this morning. Yeah. Do you remember how to put clothing on? You know, things like that. Well, I, my theory is that every music got bad when you were about 27, no matter who you are or when you lived. Is this why all these famous musicians decided to cash in their chips at 27? Yeah, probably. Hendrix, <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, Winehouse, I hadn't thought about Cobain. That. 
I just went, oh, I don't like music anymore, but music's my life. Yeah, it's done. Therefore, it's you know, bad. obviously the heroine's chatting away, yeah, do it, do it. <laughs> they, well, they went out at the peak before they started to realise that music was all shit. Mm. Well, then my theory was that it was the 33 Club. Oh. Simply because years ago I wrote a show about I drummers. Think Jesus checked out. Well, Jesus was never the greatest of drummers, what with the state of his hands towards hey, the end. He could move a hammer. <laughs> but um, the two sort of key drummers in the show were um, Keith Moon and John Bonham. They checked out at 33, not 27. Yeah. Well, to be fair, when a woman's 33, she says she's 27. All right. So that was their. That was their woman age. A lot of people... I that know, was their like woman a, checkout age. Like a dog age. Oh, have you heard about this thing with Lawrence Mooney? I have. I'm staying with Craig Egan, the marvellous proprietor of all things Adelaide comedy. And, uh, dear listener, Lawrence Mooney reacted very badly to a three-star review. It wasn't even a mauling. It was just yeah. someone going, wasn't my cup of tea, he swore too much. Lawrence, I think again had some assistance with typing, be it liquid, <laughs> uh, imbibed another way. There was so, a bit of sugar in his fuel. Yeah, there, something was, uh, was, was uh, turbocharging his, his ire. <laughs> so he, he fires off some missives on Twitter, which is, of course, a public domain, um, having a go at this journalist for, for was it daring after to midnight? have an opinion. Was it after midnight? I think you could probably go back over the Twitter feed and go, well, this was, he'd, he'd come back from a pub and then... Yeah, I imagine, like, just early lawyer rule, <laughs> never send anything after midnight, particularly not business-related, ever. Yeah. Just put it on hold, you save might, it, put it... It could have, have just been plain on. old tiredness could affecting his judgment. cranky. But uh, then today in the advertiser, they ran a whole feature calling him a, a five-star doofus... <laughs> or some such thing for, for you know having to go at one of their journalists and so he's going to go five stars journalists are like police you know they look after their own he might well take that five stars and use it um, in fraudulently in the future yeah. as all comedians do as everyone as is some comedians time. do not all of them all I, comedians I'm do above Didn't, reproach isn't it like legendary that Will Anderson had a really mean review that said he walks on stage like he's the rock star of Australian comedy and he just took the rock star of Australian comedy well the best one was uh, a, a singer comedian who's, who's no longer with us he died young maybe 27 or 33 <laughs> I don't know but this chap was called Jason Wood, and he was a brilliant but slightly mainstream comedian, I, I would have said. So he went to the Edinburgh Fringe, his first show, and the Scotsman gave him a one-star review, which back in those days was enough to you know, really shut down, at the very least, your joy and possibly your financial security for the rest of that festival. But his PR people, not to be deterred by this one-star review, just put up on his posters, a star, the Scotsman. That's beautiful. So, to, to give someone a bad review these days, you really can't leave any room for interpretation. No, just every word has to be crap, crap, yeah. crap, 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 and then no stars. Yeah, no so, stars. But, but Lawrence Mooney was, was reacting to a uh, not entirely unreasonable three-star review. Yeah. But there's a show at the Fringe called The Lone Star Show. Where then any... what's your opinion? You say you side with Craig. Well, Craig was kind enough to, to put a little thing going, hey guys, let's just, uh, you know, on, on Facebook and Twitter, just only put positive stuff. And he coined the phrase, throwing out rainbows. To answer the question, who do I side with? Um, I think Lawrence 
didn't need to react. I think if you react to a re- bad review, you draw attention to a bad review. Mm. Whereas in the real world, no one really gives a shit about reviews. If Especially it's a good review, not now. if it's a good just... review, you, you can use it on your posters. If it's, if it's a bad review, generally you can ignore it and get on with your life. I think. I agree. I think very few people read reviews or pay attention to them, and they're more likely to listen to recommendations of their friends or see tweets. Or if they're already a fan of yours, come and tell friends well, to Lawrence come. was already close to sold out, and this Ferrari is probably going to sell him more tickets. Yeah. So if the journalist wanted to bring him down a peg or two, this mm. whole thing has, has backfired the, by becoming a spat. I had a sort of a side angle on this when a couple of years ago when someone published a review that was positive about my comedy but mean about the way that I look. And the first paragraph or so was just talking about my clothing choices, which were a costume, actually, a a lawyer costume. Um, And I was lucky enough that other people made a fuss for me. So you could sit back and watch the... Yeah, I got to be the the centre of a scandal without having caused the scandal, which is the best kind of scandal, I think. Um, I don't think I would have made a fuss. I was more confused than offended. But this is... I mean, one of the points that Lawrence made within the personal attacks that were entirely unnecessary... Uh, was that the journalists aren't dedicated comedy reviewers they're, they're, you know, while the festival is on they are press ganged in from the financial cookery you know, or, or society pages like they just go, quick, everyone do a review yeah. and if you get a bad review from someone who is, for 11 months of the year an ice cream critic yes. you're like, well you know, maybe stick to what you know, which is gelato and, and dairy-based. Yeah, not enough crunchy bits for my liking. Three and a half stars. <laughs> the room was a very pleasant 20 degrees centigrade. That would ruin most ice cream. <laughs> Didn't give me brain freeze. Yeah. I, no wafers. Two stars. Yeah, they get an email out. They email out to their departments and they say, if anyone wants to see a free show, yeah. Come and pick the show that you want to review. Well, what's happened in Edinburgh? Edinburgh, uh, and as Adelaide is, I think, the second biggest festival in the world, this will start to happen. Edinburgh realised it had far more shows than reviewers. So these, when I first started, they were A4 sheets of paper. Now they're mostly online content. But reviewing sites evolved to meet the demand for reviewers. Because if a comedian does a show that doesn't get reviewed, it's like a tree falling down in a forest. Did it ever happen? And so our egos demanded that reviewers were plucked from nowhere. And these are often, you know, students. If you're lucky, they're journalism students. But they could just be students who want to see free shows. That's really interesting because I'm deliberately keeping press out of my new show because it's not ready yet. Right. And I don't want someone's opinion on it. That's a good thing to do. Uh, and if you are trying to create something new, is a journalist a useful or or, or a useless thing to have in? I, I don't mind having journalists come in because the worst review I ever got uh, it, it, when I was decent enough at comedy for, for it to affect me, um, it was a two-star review for a show that went on to you know travel the world and garner lots of award nominations and great reviews. But I was like, really angry about this review but I also rewrote my show based on what that review had said ah oh, so it was good critical feedback yeah I think so but you almost rather that in a letter than <laughs> a private letter yeah a private letter hi 
you know, as I say to my audience, it's like, this is the week where I'm going to take your advice. The rest well, the of the funny, time, I'm going to ignore everything. And this being the nature of, of comedy, the review was from a journalist at the Daily Telegraph who was the boyfriend of the woman who was doing my PR. Already a massive conflict of interest. However, had that woman not been doing my PR, the Telegraph would, would probably not have bothered with my show. So he comes in, he sees what I thought was a blistering performance. So every day I'm nagging the PR, going, when's my review coming out? And she yeah. goes, as, as soon as possible. She might have known that he wanted to bury me, so she held off that review for nearly two weeks. Oh, wow. So at least my burial was towards the end of the festival. But it's amazing how these things work and how incestuous and corrupt all the of these things thing. can be. It's about ethics in comedy review journalism. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I don't think... I think the secondary furor or the thing that gave this this scandal with Mooney trad, uh, traction is that it was a woman, a young woman, who But also the, the, the attacks w- w- were personal. Yeah. Well, were they? I, I think... I, I didn't even read it. I'm only hearing about this third or fourth hand through the gossip of, of comedians. Everything's personal to a comedian, though. Yeah. That's Everything's personal to a person, to be fair. To be fair. Yeah. Yeah. All people take things personally because they are people. The one upside... I realise that you've got a legal history here, and I'm going, I have to be careful what I say here. <laughs> I, well, I'm not going to sue you. Uh, no, but you'll be thorough, and that's oh, always annoying. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I think the one upside of this is that it's brought back the insult, dead shit, which I haven't heard since the 90s, <laughs> and is a delightful, non-gender-specific insult. Oh. Isn't that uh, Chopper's thing, Make Dead Shit's History? That's his little wristbands that he has. Oh, really? Maybe from a few years ago now. I like that. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that brought back, but I like it as an insult. Uh, I'm always looking for a good, a good insult. It's weird because, you know, I think the comedians need the reviewers a lot more than the reviewers need the comedians. Mm. Yes, but and equally, I don't. I don't think the comedians do need the reviewers anymore. Possibly not, because I think, it's a, I think social media can can bypass the need to get a good review. And also, a good review is no longer the guarantee of success that it used to be. There was a thing in the when I first started in the nineties, and arguably the noughties, five stars from the Scotsman means you will sell out for your whole run. But now, I think having a lot of YouTube followers is way more important. Yeah, well, absolutely. Laura Davis's show, Ghost Machine, which was kind of critically acclaimed and got four and five star reviews across the board, she was cancelling a lot of nights in right. Melbourne. And then towards the end, when she got the Golden Gibbo, she started getting audiences. But so you need a large, almost a galaxy of stars to get people in. Yes. Or a really good following online already. Yeah, I think it's better. Word of mouth is better, and it, and word of mouth has more. Uh, strength now online mm. and people are more likely to get that sense of which you could only really get with a con- like a really professional reviewer who you had followed read their reviews over years the sense of if they like it I won't like it or if they like it I will, I like, will it. like it there's a few of those in Scotland there's, there's Kate Copstick who uh, I think is based I think the, the character in the Harry Potter books, Rita Skeeter, is based on her. Really? She's this crazy, drunken, witchy kind of woman with a mess of hair. So there's a load of comparisons with Rita Skeeter, living in Edinburgh, of course. She's a, a former comedian turned reviewer, and she has, I think, quite a bit of power. 
Yeah, she and gave me a good review this year. And there's the Guardian reviewer, Lynn Gardner, who I think a lot of people expect. But outside of a very small, elite group of reviewers... Yeah. Here in Australia, it's probably Helen Razor. Helen Razor from The Age, is that the one? Yeah. Yeah. Who just have have enough of a history, and maybe this is the problem, that if you're bringing in people from no- nowhere, then it's just one person's opinion, and it isn't more important or interesting or... Or, Unless um, you have seen enough shows that Helen liked to know that you'll like something she likes or vice versa. Yeah, or you just get a sense from reading what she's done before that mm. you'll like it or not like it. Otherwise, it, it is as valid as a tweet. It's just one person's opinion and you don't know that person so you don't know what their opinion means. And tweets are, in a way, more useful because you can get them quicker. Yeah, and more concisely as yeah. well. Just you, you, Someone I hate likes this show, I'll go not go to this show someone I like loves this show I'll go to the show yeah agreed 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 I don't know I I feel weird about reviews particularly I felt really weird with Savage I think with this one I'll feel more open to it but then Savage which I saw in Melbourne, Melbourne very personal show because you were kind of rewriting it on the hoof following the death of your mother and yes. then to have a reviewer come into something that personal just in the same way my last show being about my dad it's like you know you go you want to say hey you know leave me alone and leave my dad alone he can't defend himself yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I heard that there had been a review that came out and my immediate response when I heard that there had been a review was fuck you like just straight <laughs> well, off the bat I didn't even know if it was a good review or a bad review and then that was like okay I'm not going to read the reviews I just sent them all to my brother and got him to do the pull quotes there's also there's a lot of comedians who go I just never read reviews never read reviews and you go I find that hard to believe I really like reading bad reviews of comedians that I love yeah, and also like it makes reading me... bad reviews of comedians I don't love just because there's a certain schadenfreude or rubbernecking when you rubber go past necking. an accident of someone who, you know, <laughs> in terms of comedy as well, someone who careened past you two junctions ago and then crashes. You go, yeah. I read like a two and a half star review of Tessa Waters and I was okay. like, you're wrong. Oh yeah, you're just an idiot with an opinion. It makes, it makes me feel more comfortable and, and happy in the in the confidence that they are just people with dumb opinions and I don't you know they're wrong like <laughs> but then comedy is so subjective like any art form yeah so if someone doesn't like something you go well that could just be that it's not for you yeah and this is what happened to Lawrence Mooney is that the journalist in question didn't really like Lawrence didn't really like what he did but still gave him a three star review mm. Because, Which you think you should take and run? You know, it's it's not like a mauling. It's not a, it's not a takedown. It's a wasn't for me. Mm. Which it, she's entitled to her opinion, it, and she's also getting paid to have that opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, people say it read like a two or a one star. I haven't read it <laughs> myself. Uh, the only out, like the only reason I came across it was that I asked uh, Lawrence to do this podcast, and he said, "No, I'm offline." Because oh, so he's now got a self-imposed exile of this shitstorm. Of and this shitstorm. And I was like, "What shitstorm?" And he's like, "It's kind of a big deal." Oh. I think he was a bit offended that I hadn't oh. heard of the shitstorm. So I'm here. So then as, I looked as, it up. As I've seen these people on the news. We couldn't get the actual person, so we've got no, someone from a university no. who knows a little bit about this you person. Are the, <laughs> you are here on your own behalf. He would have come next week anyway. Right. Okay. At any rate, uh, but it's. I just thing. imagine that if this was a TV interview, Lawrence Mooney expert, Gordon Southern, yeah. <laughs> chucks in his two pence worth. 
I like I like people who say mean things sometimes because it, it reassures you that that they well, people who say uh, mean things. You think about uh, Simon Cowell. He has built an incredible business empire based on I'm prepared to say mean things. Yes, I like it. I like. I genuinely I think do. Kate Copstick is similar. They've got this sort of pantomime baddie thing that yeah. everyone goes. Oh, what are they going to say next? Oh, they're going to break. going to crush oh. someone's dreams. I don't. It's more that I think than if you, they say something nice, then you believe it's sincere. Because you always know that person who never has a mean word to say about anything, and you trust them less. Yeah, because you don't. Yeah, you they're just relentlessly wanna, you just positive. Just want to be received well. Yeah, it's not about me, it's about you. And so if somebody goes, boy, your ass looks bad in that, then the next time they go, you look amazing, you believe them. Yeah. Just, even if they're not, you know, I, I think you could probably do it slightly more diplomatically than that. Well, I suppose that. people always, you know, get very careful not to aff- give offence if they possibly can. But then that means that we need these, I suppose, court jesters. You go, hang on, this person's going to cut through all of this bullshit yeah. with a couple of one-liners. Yeah, I just don't have the moral courage to be that person. Which is why we need our Simon Cowles and our Kate Copstickses. Yes, I'm always afraid. I always freeze up in arguments because I'm afraid that I'll say something so devastatingly mean that it will ruin someone. I feel like I have that dangerous capacity See, in me. I used to enjoy... But I've never done it. Yeah. So it could just be that sense that you have that you'd be really good in a fight and you would in fact <laughs> just get... You know what I mean? Like, I think I'm secretly really mean inside, but I've never deployed it. Right, so, so you think you're a verbal got... street fighter, but yeah. you've never been involved in a street yeah. fight, um, just in I'm... case yeah. someone takes your head clean off. Yeah. <laughs> or in case I take their head off, which is my idea, that I mm. would. But I think actually maybe I wouldn't, because I've got no practice. Right. See, when I was younger, I was a bit more confident, and I would be maybe a bit more cutting to people. But as I get older, I suppose it's because your fear of being injured uh... emotionally... Is the same as as you get older, your fear of being injured physically. Yeah, so you, you take go, fewer risks. Do I want to play football with these younger people? No. Do I want to get into an argument with someone who might well be on ice? No. No, and all, <laughs> also maybe your sense of just general compassion. Well, they're a dickhead, but they probably had a bad childhood or a bad yeah. day or... Yeah, your empathy gland is something that you can exercise and build up. mm in the same way that someone on steroids might want to build up their deltoids. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have mad empathy delts. Uh, <laughs> I think I, yeah, I can flex my empathy delts quite well. Are you in a, the gym, for example, if someone says, can I use that piece of equipment next? I always say yes. That's, that's good very, empathy, that's isn't good it? That's good empathy and good... Can, judging by the size of this fella, weightlifting is much more important to him than me. <laughs> <laughs> you can use it now, sir. Yes. Uh, do you Would you like me to wipe it down before you begin screaming at it? <laughs> Do you, and that's how he gets his exercise in fights as well. He practices <laughs> fights by shouting at gym equipment. Uh, so he's a match-fit asshole yeah. when the time comes for him to Just be... Just changing the verb. It's like, you know, all day, I'm going to pick you up. And then later on, I'm going to fuck you up. Very similar words. Yep, or I'm going to pick you up. Uh, that's his only <laughs> sentence. Just He just... <laughs> Just plays That's his it. only chat up line. Yeah, it's only it's his only line of vocabulary. He's just like he a slightly more articulate. Driver. He's got the whole day covered. Pokemon. Do you go to the gym often? Is that um, your fitness? At the moment, actually, swimming's my bag because I've got a bad hip. One of the joys of getting old. Really? So swimming is the most effective form of low impact exercise. How did you get a bad hip? Uh, years of five-a-side football. 
Ah, or swinging. clown football, as I call it, because I've been playing this game of football for nearly, t- as long as I've been a comedian, nearly 20 years. We'd it's all a meet- long game of football. Well, it's not the same game, but oh. it's the same, it's always Tuesdays. All games are the same game. Well, no, I beg to differ. <laughs> it's like chess, infinite, infinite variations. And a load of comedians have played five-a-side football for nearly 20 years. Wow. And it's really good fun, and I'm, one of, I'm now one of the old guard, obviously, because I oh, started yeah. playing when I was in my early 20s. Where is this game? This is in Crystal Palace. Oh, lovely. And we've seen people come and go. John Oliver used to be one of the regulars. Ah, Helen Zaltzman lives in Crystal Palace. Andy Zaltzman, her brother, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. is the organiser of five-a-side football. How there quick was that degrees of separation? How gendered is the five-a-side football? All men. Always All men. has been. We had a couple of girls play occasionally, but, but girls it's always can't been kick. male comedians. Uh, I'm not answering that. I think women's football is fantastic, but uh, they're not allowed to play on Tuesday afternoon. We also have, uh, if you're really good at football or really aggro or you tackle too hard, you are not invited back. Interesting. Yeah. This is quite a fragile ecosystem because the football and the banter have equal priority. So you could be quite bad at football, but if you can sling decent insults across... So you get this, to stay in the game. This is the insult gym we were talking about before. Maybe it is. This is where you're working up your insults so that if we you're ever in a fight, a you can be... work up a bit of banter and you can not practice your heckle put-downs, but certainly... Properly cutting. Give each other... Maybe it's, it's what it is. It's like a, a, a safety valve for all the unpleasant things we wanted to say to hecklers or to spouses over the week. We need the football not just to physically run around, but to mentally... Get rid of a few. Get rid of that. Maybe maybe Mooney would have done better if he'd if been playing this. If only he regularly played five-a-side football, you he'd should. have thought twice about sending that volley of tweets. Where can people find you online, Gordon? They can find me online at my website, www.gordonsouthern.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a kind of... I, I use Facebook and Twitter chiefly as a spectator sport, but sometimes I participate, especially when I've got something to sell. Mm-hmm. such as a festival show and I'll be doing the festivals in Adelaide and Melbourne for All the right. next couple of months and earlier this morning I think I've just said yes to the Edinburgh Fringe brilliant I'll be the there too millionth festival I've done there now wow. well I'll, I'll be there too we'll have a fun time Excellent. have another tea uh, thank you you are having tea with us.